0: I don't think I'm all here, but I'm here. My, uh, I'm still a little punchy. I don't know why, <laughs> but it is good to be back. And uh, we uh, Sunday night we'll be making a full report in regard to our trip. But uh, we had a ma- just a magnificent time. Uh, we we couldn't in a few words even begin to explain all that the Lord did in Scotland during these days. It was just really exciting, and uh, we uh, really praise the Lord, and also thank you all for your prayers. Uh, We really sense the prayer burden back here, and also so many people wrote to us. It was really super to get all those letters, and uh, people assuring us of their prayers, and uh, so we praise the Lord for your participation in all that happened, and we'll be letting you know more about this as time goes on, we, uh, Kurt's ministry especially was effective. Uh, Kurt worked harder than all the rest of us. Uh, I all I did was speak forty-seven times, uh, but Kurt, uh, uh, Kurt had, was in uh, virtually all of the schools, grade schools, high schools. Uh, kept getting invited back to do more in the schools, and uh, uh, so he was up in the morning and hitting the schools, and then children's meetings and. Uh, uh, and on the weekends uh, did uh, children's meetings and Sunday schools and all of that virtually had full charge of it and uh, then participated in the evening meetings and uh, at 9:30 hit the coffee bars and uh, and sang and spoke uh, for 2 hours every night till uh, almost midnight and uh, so he was uh, going burning a candle at both ends and uh, really uh, really putting forth so we had a it was a tremendous time and uh, we uh, are really looking for some tremendous fruit in days to come. In fact, we've already seen it. One of the things that we that we were concerned about was to really motivate people uh, to get involved in service for the Lord. And uh, uh, even more than our previous trip, we really saw some visible results of that. Just an example, Kurt ministered in the coffee bar um, and um, uh, there were many really many decisions uh, either for recommitment of their lives or a number of decisions for salvation uh, in the coffee bars but there was one girl that had attended the coffee bar had not made a decision and um, uh, one of the men that had been attending the, uh, the meetings uh, and had really gotten stirred up for the Lord had the privilege of leading her to the Lord This girl happened to work for him, and he led her to the Lord the next morning after we closed in Elgin. And uh, this is the first person he'd won to Christ for many, many years, and uh, he was just excited about it. And uh, we had another situation, I'm going to tell the whole thing if I don't look out. Another situation where we were encouraging them to... uh, equipped the saints for the work of the ministry, the pastors, to do that and uh, and to get involved in discipleship ministry. It's something that's all, really almost unheard of over there. And uh, one pastor walked up to two people, two of his men, on a bus that was running them back from their village uh, to the meetings. And he said, what would you think about the possibility of me discipling you men? And they said, really, would you? They were so excited about it, he came, Don Zoller happened to be staying with this particular pastor. And he said to Don, he said, what do I do now? <laughs> so Don was able to minister and uh, and give him some help, and uh, he's going to begin discipling a couple of men. And uh, uh, this kind of thing really was uh, was great. So there's a lot more, but uh, I kind of give you an idea. We're uh, really on top of, uh, top of the world these days because we feel that uh, it was... Uh, more than successful, more than we ever could have dreamed or hoped. The Lord does truly do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And so therefore, it confirms again, God's word is true, and God's at work, and he wants to minister in our lives, and he wants to do the same today. Let's try to uh, gather our thoughts and have a word of prayer together, and we'll get started again. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and the tremendous... uh, ministry that you give to all of us as we as saints minister to one another. We're thankful Lord for those that ministered to these dear friends while we were gone and now that we have returned we pray that you will just help us to make the most of this month that we have remaining in the classes. Help us to cover not only just cover the material but Lord we pray that we may make good progress and then at the same time We pray that there may be life-transforming and life-changing things that take place during this month of May. We pray that we will be up and about the Master's business in this very vital age in which we live. So now, Lord, we pray that you'll give us clarity of thought. Help us, Lord, to be able to just uh, put our thoughts together in these very important matters before us. We pray that each and every woman in this room will be changed because she's been here today. We pray that Jesus Christ will be honored. We'll give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Now, it seems like a long time since we've been here, but uh, we want to uh, get going again with these things that cause a husband's spirit to react to a wife's spirit. Uh, one thing that we just finished up talking about was that when there's a lack of confidence in a husband's decisions, uh, it gives a husband a sense of insecurity, it gives him a sense of, of uh, almost uh, feeling as though he has to assert uh, his his manliness, that his manliness has been threatened as a result of his wife's uh, stubbornness in that matter. and. Uh, When a a husband really does best is when the wife really admires him and respects him. And even when he makes mistakes, where she has patience and lets God teach uh, teach the husband rather than she becoming the one uh, that becomes the teacher. We talked a bit about Joseph's life and the fact that when mistakes are made, even sinful things are done. You meant it unto me for evil, but the Lord meant it for good. And so we need to learn to deal with our husbands in that way and work, allow God to work through the decisions of the authority that has been placed over them. There is a reason and a purpose why God allows these things to take place. One of the things that I'm constantly learning in my Christian life, and I'm sure you are as well, is that God is far more interested in building character in you than He is in merely making the experiences of life happy, the experiences of life pleasant. Uh, He does want to give us pleasant experience. In fact, some of the most pleasant experience that we'll ever have is what we'll have all through eternity. In His presence, His fullness of joy at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. But when we play God, and try to take things into our own hands to change our circumstances, we miss the valuable lessons that God wants to teach us. Lessons of patience, lessons of dealing with with authority in a proper and biblical manner, lessons that will build uh, uh, us into beautiful people. God wants the inner character, that hidden person of the heart, in that which is not defiled, even a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. God wants more than anything else in the world to build you into a godly woman. And you see, again, the Apostle Paul, when he had a thorn in the flesh, he he asked the Lord, Lord, get rid of this. His reasoning was, Lord, I can be more effective by far in the ministry if this thorn in the flesh is not present. And the Lord rebuked that and said Paul you're wrong. That's not true. The thing that will make you effective in the ministry is not the ability to to be flexible physically. uh, The ability to be adept physically. The, the, The truth of the matter is the character that I build in you through suffering is that which will make you effective in the ministry. And Paul said, when the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you, for in your weakness my strength is shown. Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, can you see and can you understand what's involved here? When you realize that God is more concerned about building character than in giving you pleasant circumstances, than giving you a a husband who understands you, a husband that loves you, a husband that does all of these things. All of those things are nice and good. And God can provide them for you. God can bring about transformation in the life of another person. He can bring about remarkable change. It it tells us in the book of Proverbs, I think it's 21.1, that the mind of the king is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water and he turns it whithersoever he will. God, with a snap of his divine fingers, could transform your husband into the the perfect individual. If he wished to do that, he could do it. But you see, God isn't in the business of changing people for selfish purposes. He's seeking to do a lasting work of grace for divine purposes. And he gives you, an expected end, or an end that has hope within it, as one text in the Old Testament tells us. Now that's why God does allow these various things to take place. Don't resist God, even when God is speaking through an authority that is perverse. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 2, it tells the servant to respond to his master even if that master is perverse. Why? Because that way, grace is best demonstrated. And that's what God wants to do in your heart and in your life. Now, husbands have priorities. And if you're keeping notes, our third Roman numeral here is, often a wife is inflexible to the husband's priorities. Now, I'm the first one to admit that I don't understand women, and I think that any man that says he does understand women is really a fool. I think that it's impossible for a man to understand a woman, and that is in the deepest sense, because he is not a woman, and women are different than men. I think by the same token, it is really impossible for a woman to understand a man. And therefore, it's not a matter of understanding each other, it's a matter of living with each other in an understanding way. That is, trying to focus some attention upon understanding the other person. And that's true on both sides, and it makes a marvelous marriage when you have two people living together in a marriage relationship who are really striving Not with any preconceived notions that they'll be successful fully, but with just the understanding that they're going to try their best to put themselves in their wife's shoes or put themselves in their husband's shoes. The husband's frame of reference is a broader frame of reference than a woman's. A woman naturally lives within a limited scope, a limited frame of reference. and I've said this before, I want to repeat it because I don't want any misunderstanding. It is possible for a woman to expand her frame of reference, and it is possible for a man to peek within the frame of reference that is more feminine in nature. But I can tell you this, it is in a sense a sort of a forced thing. I've said before that women make tremendous executives, because it is easier for a woman who can see the little detail of life, it is easier for her to expand her frame of reference and become goal-oriented than it is for a man who is more goal-oriented and sees the broader picture to reduce it down to the bite-sized chunks. And so therefore women, many times, make better executives than men because they, have, they are able to more easily expand the frame of reference. A man will see the big picture, but he will not many times see the component parts that make up that big picture. He can be trained to see component parts in the area where he's been trained, but he does not, for instance, see the little details. You'll remember an illustration I used some time ago, but it really illustrates it. I per, I really like to have a clean house. When I say that, my standard of what a clean house is is far different than my wife's. I like a house that isn't isn't just you know, I like a house that you can get through without tripping over dirty clothes and all of that kind of things. And as long as it's straightened up and has that appearance, even you know if the, if the closets are stuffed with with things which ours aren't because my wife is such a careful housekeeper, but if they were, that wouldn't bother me out of sight, out of mind, you know, is sort of the thing. As long as the house is reasonable so that when people come into the house, they don't say, good night, what a mess, you know. I'm happy, and I like a clean house. But my wife's standard of excellence is far different than mine. And I I, I sit in a beanbag chair when I read, and uh, when I watch TV, I like the light because the light gets down better there, and, and uh, I, I like the comfort of a beanbag chair. And I Sit there all the time. My wife very seldom does. She sits on the Davenport more of the time. And from my vantage point, up in the corner above the TV, there was a cobweb. Now, mind you, uh, it had been there for some time. And it didn't bother me at all. I mean, what's a cobweb? Now, to me, it, it really wasn't that important. Why? Because I'm concerned about the overall picture. I wouldn't want people coming in, taking a quick look around the house and, and saying, oh, what a messy house. But you see, I, I I don't really think in terms of people that might wear white gloves and go around and check for dust and things like that. That That's not something that comes to my mind. So I sit there and I look at the perfectly lovely cobweb. I thought it was kind of interesting to watch it grow and all the rest of it. You know, One day, my wife flopped down in my beanbag chair and and she looked up and the first thing she saw was that cobweb she said oh my goodness there's a cobweb oh yeah it's been there for a long time <laughs> i thought that was going to be my funeral day right there she why didn't you tell me i didn't think it was important you know a cobweb to her is important a cobweb to me means nothing you see what i mean there's a different frame of reference and i think that i think that husbands and wives need to really get this into their mind. This little diagram has been helpful in getting people to see it. But the focus of a husband, for an example, will be on his work and the overall direction of the family. And the wife sees the the specifics and she's more problem-oriented and she sees the the things that are happening. And uh, you know, the husband will work long hours at night trying to to build his business so that it'll be successful And uh, he has in mind things like uh, early retirement and more time with the family eventually and all of that. The wife sees all the little things around the house that are being neglected because the husband is working late. And the wife jumps all over the husband. Now I've had husbands say to me, my wife says that I don't love her. What does she think I'm doing? I'm working my full head off for her. See, but the wife can't see that. The wife is concerned that the husband give her a, a nice, romantic kiss. That he say that that he he says repeatedly and gives her assurance. I love you. I love you. I love you. I, one husband told me one time. I said, Do you do you love your wife? And uh, and he said, Oh, sure. I said, Have you ever told her that you loved her? He said, I did once. That ought to be enough. You know, and that's the way he actually was thinking. That that ought to be enough. You tell your husband, I mean, you tell your wife once, "I love you." That ought to be enough. And in many cases, it is enough for a man. A man, wife says, "I love you," and that's fine. And he goes on, and he assumes she loves him. And some of these guys are perfectly naive. They don't realize the hidden little needs of a woman. They need to study it. They need to know it. And believe me, when I get the chance to talk to men, I tell them things like this, and it works in a lot of cases. And we've seen some tremendous things happen. Along that line. But the wife sees all of these little things, and the husband thinks he's expressing love by going to work and working hard and neglecting the family in many cases and neglecting the little things. And to him, to change a light bulb is a very, very small thing. I mean, that is, you know, that doesn't matter at all. But I'll tell you something to have that. Retirement coming up, and and uh, all of that extra pay and the bonus pay and the overtime pay, so that he can do things for the family and do things that he sees as long-range projects. That's what's important to him. Now the husband needs to understand some things. We only spent a few moments on this. She needs to. Un- he needs to understand the principle that we've given you so many times of ish and. Isha. God made man; He made Ish. When He made woman, she shall be called Isha, because she is taken out of man, and she is his counterpart. She is his opposite. The biggest tragedy of our age is with women trying to be men, and men trying to be women. One of our biggest tragedies today, and sometimes it's an unconscious thing, it's not a conscious thing, it's not a, a transvestite type of situation, uh, but rather it's simply uh, an attitude that creeps in, uh, and, and this whole idea of, 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 of uh, unisex in, in, in thinking, not only in dress and a lot of other ways, but in, in, in thinking. Uh, That there is no difference, that there's a breakdown of difference. It's so contrary to scripture, it's hard to believe that anybody could buy it. It's so contrary to nature, it's hard to believe anybody could buy it. Because women are different than men. They are totally different than men. They have different directions, different purposes, they have different thoughts, they have different wants, they have different needs. Women are different. Delightfully different. I wouldn't want it any other way. It sickens me to see women who are manly. That just is not what God wants. And I doesn't mean I'm putting women down. No, I'm putting them in a totally different category. You know, it's a man, a man was according to the book of Genesis, God made man out of made something out of nothing and designed him according to to the pattern using God's own image as the pattern for the making of man. That is, his soul, the inner part of him, the spiritual side of man, was made in God's image. And then God formed a body around it to suit that which he had made. But when he made the woman, he designed her according to specifications. That is, he designed the woman to meet all of the needs that the man lacked. She is a fulfiller. She's not, it's, don't ever think of it as being leftover. But God made a man in a certain way. Then he made the opposite to fit so that there would be a dovetailing of the two. And man needs to understand that. They need to really understand that the future is made up of little details. And that God has given him a wife to fill in those little details. And to to help him see the components of the big picture. The wife sees the components. The man sees the big picture. The wife often can't see the big picture. The man usually can't see the components. And God says, hey, put it together. Work together. Your weaknesses and your strengths, put them together to make one mighty, powerful strength. That's the thing that God wants. That's why he made a woman suitable for the man that is fitting or answering to his need. And uh, the wife's frame of reference will reveal many important aspects toward the husband's ultimate direction, and he will be a wiser man in the total picture if he'll simply listen to what his wife can offer in terms of those details. A wise husband listens carefully for insight from the wife. Let's look at a few verses of Scripture just to reinforce this thought. Again, not so you can go home and shake this in your husband's face, but so that you will just understand the perspective from the biblical viewpoint. Proverbs 11 and verse 14. Where no counsel is. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now you see, the counselors fill in details in any decision that must be made. And even though the wife is not to usurp authority over her husband, she can be a counselor in the sense of giving him detail that will help a great deal actually the word the word here for counsel is an interesting word it is the word that means literally the administration of the ropes it is the the word from the Hebrew which was used for a for a sailor on a ship with his specific responsibility in steering that ship to port. And therefore, the wife can have tremendous ministry in that matter of helping steer her husband, particularly if she learns a soft answer turns away wrath, and and there are ways to approach the husband and and appeal to him and have good success. Over in uh, Proverbs 15, verse 22, it says, "...without counsel..." purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Again, the value of counsel. Proverbs 24 and verse 6, For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in multitude of counselors there is safety, See, again, the the details being added in order to come to a conclusion as to what is right and what is correct. Perhaps the best verse of all is in Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 14, where it says, Houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. You've seen this verse before. And you've seen that the word prudent is the word sakal. Sakal is that ability to see beneath the surface of the matter and be able to understand what is making the situation the way it is. It's not that which takes facts as you see them on the surface, but rather digs down beneath, leading to wisdom and leading to a real understanding of the situation. And the wife that is able to do that is considered a gift from the Lord. If a man would just understand that he gave the wife to him for that very purpose. There's something else that the husband needs to understand. In addition to what he can gain from his wife's uh, sock and so on, he also must understand that God's answer to any situation is to have spiritual Priorities. A man's purposes will always be frustrated when they are outside the plan of God. God resists the proud, those that are independent of him, but he gives grace unto the humble, those that are utterly dependent upon him. So therefore, when a man turns his back upon spiritual priorities, he runs into the resistance of God as well as the resistance of others. And so a man needs to understand that as he sets his goals, it must be God's concern first. Matthew six thirty three, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now I could go on a whole message on this uh, if the men were here today, because you see, one of the highest priorities that God gives a man is care for his wife. And so even though... You, I say this carefully because, again, I don't want you gals running home saying, "Oh, Pastor Steele said today that I should be your number one priority. Well, not really. Uh, God should be the number one priority. But nevertheless, one of the high priorities that a man must have is the care of his wife. And he needs to be taught that, but not by you. You leave that for God to teach. And He will in due time. Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about the priorities in the home and the family. You remember, these things shall be in your heart and you shall teach them incisively to your children. You talk of them in the way and all of that, all of the things centered around God's priorities. That, of course, is absolutely valuable. Of course, what you have to achieve unity in a marriage is when you have God's concerns God's concerns, paramount. And, of course, you have the man on one side and you have the woman on the other side and you, you have the man allowing his concerns to be God's concerns, the woman allowing her concerns to be uh, God's concerns and the result of that is that there is unity in the relationship. Of course, on this level, See, when you're moving horizontally rather than vertically, as far as your priorities are concerned, the thing that happens is clash. Always. Because a man's priorities will always be different than a woman's priorities. Until the man's priorities becomes God's priority and the woman's priority becomes God's priority as well. What you have here that causes the clash is the opinion of two opposites. Can you ever have two opposites agree? One has to give in to the other. You can't have agreement because you're opposites. You will always see things differently than your husband. Your husband will always see differently things than you do. Now, you say, but once in a while, we do see eye to eye on some very important things. Look at them again. Do you see eye to eye on them, or have you changed the direction of your priorities? You see, even an unbeliever can change the direction of his priority. Not consistently, mind you. But let's say, for an example, that an unbeliever decides that instead of business being his highest priority, his family ought to be his highest priority. That's God's priority. And guess what? It'll bring harmony when a man and a wife agree on that. But you see, it's the direction of God's concern. Even though God, first of all, is concerned for the salvation of those individuals, he nevertheless will honor his word. And he said, you know, remember he said, honor your father and mother that it may be well with thee and that thy days may be long on earth. Does it say anything in there about the fact you have to be a Christian first? Of course not. The child that honors his parents will receive a measure of blessing from God simply because he is in sync with that which is right. He'll have a hard time doing it on his own, obviously. He'll never be consistent in it. But nevertheless, he will have the blessing of God. God blessed pagan nations when they did the thing that was right. Even though God's primary purpose was to bring those people to God, Nevertheless, he blessed the nation. Why do you suppose God blessed some of those pagan nations with all of their wickedness and all of their idolatry simply because they put priorities where they belong on certain major issues? So you see, God's concerns become your concerns and it does not cause the clash that comes when there is the opinion of two opposites coming against each other. The man's concern is primarily goals. The woman's concern are primarily specifics. And you see, the specifics will always clash with the goals until the priorities become God's priorities. Now, a man needs to understand that. So is a woman as far as that goes. But you see, God has a plan for bringing unity into that relationship. But now, enough said about that. We have to move on to what the, what God would say to the woman. You see, the man has to learn those things, and there's so much that he can gain in his own life and experience when he realizes his woman, that his wife is a gift from God and that she has a special gift of being able to see the detail. But the wife has to move a different direction. She can't lecture her husband. She certainly shouldn't nag her husband. She shouldn't certainly shouldn't say, I told you so, when he fails. She, she should be very, very careful. Because remember, God allows the failure to develop character in both of you. And God allows the husband to make wrong decisions, to develop character in your life. So let's give you some points here to simply enhance your own ability to deal and cope with this kind of situation. First of all, realize that God makes no mistakes, and that God gives direction to your family through your husband's frame of reference. God directs the family through the husband, and at the same time, with that, recognize the role that He has given you. You see, A lot of people have a crazy idea. They think that once in a while, God doesn't... Now, this, of course, is very pragmatic and not theological. People theologically can believe that God is a sovereign God and that God makes no mistakes. As for God, His way is perfect. But pragmatically, we become very practical atheists. And we sort of look at it this way. Let's see. Now, God said that he was going to do such and such. That is his will. But God hasn't done a very good job of accomplishing that. So therefore, the flaw must be that God wants me to step in and do it my way. And then I can accomplish God's purpose in my own way. And as long as it's God's purpose, it can't be bad. That's the reasoning that goes on. Sarah reasoned that way. She got Abraham to reason that way. Sarah said, God promises a child, but God doesn't know what he's doing. Why, both of us are getting to an age that we pretty soon won't be able to have children. And I'm barren. And that's obviously a permanent condition. And so therefore, we've got to help God out. God said he would make of you a great nation, Abraham. But God has goofed. So therefore, Abraham, what we've got to do is you take my handmaid, Hagar, and you have a child by her, and that way we'll accomplish God's purpose. So Abraham said, that's a good idea, Sarah. What happened? Ishmael was born. Now, what happened with Ishmael was that Ishmael became the Arab nations. That was the product of man trying to help God out. And when God got Abraham and Sarah to the place where they could do nothing, then God said, alright, now when you will finally say it was nothing of your doing and had to be entirely of my doing, now I'm going to give you a son. I will not accept Ishmael, though I will make a great nation of him as well but I will not accept him as the seed of the promise. Therefore, after you're over a hundred years old, I'm going to give you a child. And Sarah laughed. It was incredible. I mean, really, God, I believe that you are the creator, but to do this, no way. But God did and Sarah conceived in her old age, and Isaac was born. God fulfilled his promise. But guess what? The thorn in the side of the flesh of the Jew to this very day is Ishmael. They never have recovered from Ishmael. Now you say, it's such a little thing for me to help God out. I mean, it's just that I've been patient long enough, and God's too slow to suit me. My father used to say, God's mills grind exceeding slow, but exceeding fine. The finest of the wheat is ground on the slow-moving mills. And you see, God is grinding out the fine wheat. God's purpose is going to be fulfilled. You're not going to frustrate God's purpose, but you're going to bring a lot of misery into your life and experience by producing your Ishmael's. And so therefore, the wife has to realize that God gives direction through the husband. That's God's way. That's not my idea. That's God's way. And it will be through that husband's frame of reference. He'll use that broader frame of reference to bring the ultimate goal to a conclusion. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 was the first prophecy given to man in the Bible. I will make him a help suitable or fitting or corresponding or answering to his deficiency. A perfect match, but God left room for differences. Ish and Isha, God's plan. And God left room for differences between the man and the wife but then said to the wife who would be different and see things differently than her husband, all right, by my sovereign choice, I place your husband over you. Remember what we said in the very first class this year? God has ordained that the man, that the husband be over his wife. After the fall, the wife will have a tremendous desire as a part of the curse, a tremendous desire to be over her husband. Her desire shall be to rule over her husband, but he will rule over you. Will constantly bring you to frustration. You want to. In the flesh, just like Sarah wanted to have an Ishmael, you will want to rule over your husband. But that is not God's way and not God's plan. Every time you are tempted... To, re, to resist your husband's will, just remember that that is the signal that you're under a curse. The curse will be here till the end, until we receive our resurrection bodies. You have an old nature that naturally will want to be over your husband. And the, the people today that go that route are just demonstrating the truth of God's word. When he said... Your desire shall be unto your husband. Could be better translated: Your desire shall be to be over your husband. Yet he will rule over you, and there'll be that constant conflict that will come because a woman, women are tremendously frustrated. They want to get the top, get above the, the husband, and yet it constantly keeps coming up that no matter how many women's liberation movements they have and all of the rest, it just seems like. It, the husband just keeps getting above there, and they can't seem to win in this contest. Obviously, not. It's in the flesh, it's an Ishmael. And it'll destroy that which God wants as far as the rest for his own people and become a thorn in the side for years and generations to come. Secondly, I think you need to understand what God thinks. of a nagging wife. Anybody want to leave? It'd be a good time to get out, wouldn't it? There's an old Arab proverb found in the Arabic writings, ancient writings. Not scripture, mind you. But what it says is, three things make life intolerable. One, the trickling... of rain number two a contentious wife number three bugs (laughs) now God forgot about the bugs here that was the Arabs idea but uh, God did have quite a bit to say about the trickling of rain and the contentious wife I want you to look with me at Proverbs 21 in verse 9. Where it says, It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. Now obviously when people read that brawling woman, they say that doesn't contend with me because after all I'm not a brawler. But the word is madon madon in the hebrew simply means a contest the wife who makes a contest you may call it a battle of wits you may just call it an argument but whenever you contest something that your husband has said or done you are guilty of being madone. You've made a contest. God wants marriage to be a commitment, not a contest. He wants wives to commit themselves, and you probably did if you had a decent preacher at your, at your wedding service. He got you to commit yourself to love, honor, and obey your husbands. The reason that men have asked to do that is because that's scriptural. The reason that they are leaving it out of wedding ceremonies today is because... People are no longer emphasizing the scripture in many cases in the wedding service. To love, honor, and obey is a biblical concept. Scripture tells you you are to obey your husband, you are to submit to your husband, and even in this day and age where it's so unpopular, nevertheless God doesn't change. His word is not negotiable. It's clear. And to deny the truth of it is simply to deny all that God says. When you contest your husband, you step out of the role God intended for you to do, and you become madon. You become the maker of a contest. Now, what it says here in this verse, in verse 9, is it is better. The Hebrew literally uses a word which indicates that it is a strong preference. It is strongly preferable to be alone in the attic than to be in a monstrous house with all the good things that a monstrous house might have and uh, to be with a woman who is going to make a contest out of the marriage experience and marriage life. Now mind you, that is not encouraging men to leave their wives. don't want you to misunderstand. It is merely saying that it is much better and much easier that way. The word actually for madon comes from a root midan which means discord. Discord or strife but this word means a contest strife that brings forth then the contest it describes one who cannot sit stand work or sleep without continually and perpetually nagging that's from one lexicon look at Proverbs 21 and verse 19 it is better strong preference To dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Now the word contentious is again Maudon, translated in the same chapter a little bit differently but it's the same word. The contest, the one-upsmanship of Maudon. Angry is the word Kaas which means to be indignant or to trouble. One who causes, in the causative stem, one who causes trouble. Troublemaker. Not so much angry, although the concept of anger, the indignity of the anger, is included in the word. But one who causes trouble. One who is not cooperative. Look at Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, verses 15 and 16, a continual dropping in a very rainy day, and a contentious woman, Madone again, are alike. Whosoever hideth her, hideth the wind, and the ointment of his right hand betrayeth him. Now, let's look at this for a moment. This is a very important text, one you ought to have in mind. First of all, continual dripping. The Arabic word that, from which this Semitic word comes denotes rain poured out in buckets, just you know, downpour, dripping through a roof. And it, it, it's one of the most irritating things that is possible. One historical writer described a rainstorm in Palestine. And I want to quote now. This is a quote. Some rains, as we have had, thoroughly soak through the flat earthen roofs of these mountain houses, and the water descends in numerous leaks all through the room, thus continual dropping, tuck, tuck, all day and all night. This is the most annoying thing in the world, unless... It be the ceaseless character of a contentious woman. That's not from the scripture. That's from a secular historical writer picking up on this same idea. Irritating. Constant dripping. That's one description. There's a second description. He says that a contentious woman is like wind or a storm which cannot be stopped or contained went to Scotland we shared with Don and Bev Zoller who were with us and with Kurt our son how stormy the weather was along the North Sea coast and uh, we had some beautiful weather the first week and they were beginning to wonder if we really were truthful about all of this terrible weather. They never have nice weather uh, for very long along the coast and all of a sudden on Friday it hit And we had a real good North Sea storm. Waves 30 feet high out in that sea, spilling over the spillways, splashing uh, up and uh, throwing driftwood, uh, sometimes a a block or a block and a half away uh, from the force of that storm. Really a storm, I'll tell you. And uh, we had a chance to see it. Well, now, can you imagine how foolish I would be If I were to go out with that kind of a storm and say, okay, I'm going to stop this thing. How do you get a hold of the wind? And how do you stop it? A contentious woman is described as being that kind of a storm. Lashing against the walls and all of the barriers that might be put up. And yet no one able to get a hold of it and restrain it. Only God can tame such a storm. There's a third description. The third description is light ointment, aromatic oil on the hands. The odor is so strong, it's impossible to hide it. How do you, when you've poured a whole lot of perfume on your hand, how do you get, how do you hide it so that nobody smells it? It smells. And people are going to smell it. You try to hide it, try to cover it up, try to wash your hands and everything else, you can't get rid of it. And So a wife, that is like this, will be known by everyone else. Everybody else will see her, or smell her. One of the two, they'll know. You know, you hear some of these unkind whisperings, which also are contrary to Scripture, but nevertheless, hear this. Oh, yeah, she's an awful nag. Yeah, she does this. Boy, she really browbeats him. Contentious woman. You can't hide it. Everybody knows it. In fact, probably everybody knows it but you. You may not realize it. You may not be able to detect it. You're too used to it. You've become too accustomed to it. It came on so very gradual. But your husband will know it. Now, both statements in verse 16 indicate that the man, the husband, by the way, the word whosoever in verse 16 is masculine. So therefore, the whosoever is a man. Here's the contentious woman who's like a irritating, like a continual dripping on a very rainy day. And here's the man trying to hide it, trying to restrain her, first of all. Like the wind, you try to restrain it. It doesn't do any good, but you try to do that. It's impossible to restrain her. It's impossible to stop her. And secondly, he tries to hide it, tries to cover up for her. He'll say to people, Oh, she's not so bad, and they'll say he's blind. He doesn't know what he's saying. Why, she's terrible. See what I mean? You can't hide a thing like that. Other people know it. It becomes a blind spot with you. But when you have an attitude of contest, an attitude of maldoen, you you make it your business to. To bring about change in the energy of the flesh rather than by prayer and by godly character everybody's going to see the result and they're going to realize that you are a bossy wife john r rice a number of years ago wrote a a book called bobbed hair bossy wives and women preachers i remember hearing him preach that message (laughs) that was a good long time ago but Well, I don't know about the bobbed hair. I sure know what Scripture says about the women preachers, though. And I know what it says about the bossy wives. And I believe that it's so vital that you realize how quickly Satan can get advantage of you by developing these kind of attitudes. Rational attitudes. Things You can rationalize it. You can say, oh, it's really not all that bad. I'll tell you, look over here at verse uh, chapter 19 of Proverbs and verse 13. Here perhaps, is the most tragic thing of all. It says, "A foolish son is the con- calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping two negatives in the life of a man when he has a foolish son and an irritating wife who is going to make a contest out of their marriage, play one-upsmanship and try to get to the top. Dr. Harry Ironside says how unhappy the home where both a foolish son and a contentious wife are found. They are very likely to be together For where the wife disputes her husband's authority, the effect on the children will be anything but good. Remember, dear wives today, you shape the attitudes of your child. He will learn what it is to live with authority in a proper way by seeing your proper response to authority or he will learn to resist authority and become a foolish son if you resist the authority in your home. It's the best place. It's the laboratory where the the child learns best the attitudes that he must contend with for the rest of his life. What is a foolish son? A foolish son is one Who goes his own way without response to authority he'll run wild he'll do what he thinks is right no matter what anybody else thinks he will not listen to the advice of others he will not listen to the authority placed over him he'll have problems at home he'll have problems at school he'll have problems in society he'll have problems where he works He'll have problems the rest of his life because one of the most significant and important things a child can learn and generally learns it from the mother is how to respond to authority, even wrongful authority. It's a marvelous thing when a child learns that kind of response. It's one of those things that will give him a proper and right concept of God. It will be that which will teach the child to walk by faith and not by sight. Not to do things with the hearing of the ears and the sight of the eyes, but rather to take the long look and see the advantage of doing things God's way. Ishmael's become a tremendous stumbling block to the Isaacs in your life. The the production of getting your own way will have have grave consequences in time to come there's hardly a good husband in the world who will not make some basic changes in his direction for the sake of a nagging wife and you may not immediately see that there's any bad result that came you got your own way everything turned out the way you knew it would because it's likely that you had more wisdom than your husband you're made a more sensitive creature But the consequences you pay in the lives of your children cannot be measured. I think that women need to look at things God's way. Men need to do that too, but I'm talking to you, all right? You need to understand that the long-range result is what primarily concerns God. The immediate is so often that alter on which we sacrifice the ultimate. And for the sake of the expediency of the moment, I just couldn't hold myself back anymore. I I just had to say something. He was just about to do something that was going to be disastrous. And because he was about to do something that was disastrous, you did something that would have far worse results on the long range. Does that make sense? Of course not. Don't be a wife who sets herself up as God and usurps authority that God has placed over you. God will give you tremendous wisdom in prayer and in godly character and wise decisions on your own level of making do where mistakes have been made and just simply allowing God to be God And you can be sure, absolutely sure, that in the end, victory will be wrought. God wants us in these days to learn what it is to be wise with the wisdom of God's Holy Spirit. I think if women would concentrate in these days... On something that no one can prevent her from doing. And that is prayer. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. God wants to give you power in prayer. What a difference it will make when you learn to commit everything to God in prayer. Just simply bow the knee to Him. And say, Lord... I don't understand this problem. My husband is making what seems to me to be an awful mistake. I have a, I a reason to believe it's going to end up disastrous, but I know that your purpose is greater than mine. And since you allowed my husband to go this far, I'll simply allow you to take him as far as you want to take him. And I'll, I'm willing to suffer the consequences. And Lord... All I ask is this, that in the process, you make us, both me and my husband, be the people that you want us to be. Because we know that that is the most important thing in all the world. Let God shape your character. You'll be a godly woman. And that will be worth all of the suffering, the shaping, the molding of a vessel. For his glory. A vessel unto honor. Meet for the master's use. Let's just bow, shall we? And just in this closing moment, anew and afresh, won't you commit yourself to now become the most flexible person to the husband's priorities that you can possibly be? When his priorities seem to be wrong adjust. Make the necessary adjustments. Let God make you the woman you ought to be. Dear Father, we just bow humble before you, Lord, realizing how far short we fall of your perfect standards. Father, I pray that each one of us would lean on you. Help us, Lord, not to change our lives in the energy of the flesh, but go out in the power of your Holy Spirit today and be the women that you want us to be. Make us women of prayer, Father, that we would uphold our husbands, and our families before you thank you for this time in your word and thank you for bringing the steels back safely to us in jesus name we pray amen